Pandemonium Podcast. I'm Danny Gula. And I am not John Stop. No, not at all. You are Jeff McCullough. That's who I am. Yeah, John called in sick. So uh, Jeff is going to be handling all of his duties uh, as producer, but also all of John's duties as as guy. So I expect double pay today, if possible. It's good. Double pay of nothing is still nothing. So. Hey, that, I'll take it. That's great. Yeah, I'll take what I can get. Uh, the Randomonium Podcast is a podcast where we take a little bit from the past, a little bit from the present, and a little bit from the future all of which are usually kind of random topics, and we discuss them with each other. Now, the trick is, though, we usually don't know what other people are bringing. So uh, I brought something from the future, and Jeff today, since he's handling two roles... Yeah, I was going to bring something for the present-ish. It could have also spanned the past, and being that John's not here, it's actually going to work out pretty good because my topic um, is going to span both the past and it will lead us into the present. Okay, well, let's get right into it. All right, let's do it. Welcome to the past, Jeff. What do you got for us? Okay, so the past segment today is is kind of theming off of the fact that February 15th, 1564 is the birth date of, do you want to guess, 1564. 1564. That's right. Um, it's definitely not Abraham Lincoln. Not Abraham Lincoln. Um, 1564. Is it a King George of some type? It is not. It is a gentleman by the name of Galileo. Oh, okay. Okay. So he so really, I have no, I have no concept of when Galileo was. So okay. Like, well, that's about when it was, it was long before Bohemian Rhapsody, contrary <laughs> to popular understanding. Yeah. Okay. So Galileo uh, was born in the mid 1500s and his claim to fame as a scientist is that he essentially single-handedly mm-hmm. took on the establishment, which at the time was a Catholic church because he had pretty much irrefutable evidence to prove that the earth was not geocentric in the universe, but that the universe and the solar system was heliocentric and the earth was in fact, is in fact a globe. It's round. Yeah. And well, so like up until that point, they thought the sun circled around the earth, correct? That's right. Yeah. And, and once he was able to, and to, the, the stars too, like he thought it all just kind of just, went that's around right. Us. Yeah. And that's the whole idea of a heliocentric universe where it's not everything revolving around us, but us revolving around uh, different parts of these larger heavenly bodies. Yeah, and I mean, from coming from a understanding of not really knowing that much about science as we know it now, and space as we know it now, just if your knowledge was like, hey, the Bible taught us this, like that makes sense that people thought that. Like, sure. It, doesn't, it seems so stupid now, but they really didn't have, you know, that big of an idea. That's right. And and I've got a background in biblical studies and, and even church history. And what that's called is when when um, individuals who rely on the Bible to inform them for everything um, have to recognize, and they didn't at this time, there's this thing called phenomenological observation, which essentially says that you are establishing your conclusions about the universe simply based on how you're observing things from your vantage point. So this is a pre-scientific method in a world where you see the sun going up and coming down, so the sun is moving having no concept of the fact that you actually might be the one moving around a stationary yeah. object. 
Okay, so Galileo uh, presents his findings um, to various individuals, and it immediately, in, in 1616, he gets in some pretty serious trouble with the Catholic Church. He was banned um, from teaching any of his stuff, and he was warned that if he brought any more of this, as they deemed it heresy, out into the open, that he would face serious consequences, potentially even death. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they weren't the nicest people then. Was this around the time that the Inquisition was happening? It was, yeah. It was around that time. So you've got like the, the late 1400s, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. You've got the early 1500s when Martin Luther started his Reformation movement. So this is just after that. And actually, just one thing that is interesting is to see the relationship between a lot of different things that were taking place at this time. You have Martin Luther, who's uh, challenging the Catholic Church based on doctrinal issues. Um, and church hierarchy. You've also got scientists like Galileo who are challenging their understanding of the created universe. Mm -hmm. And then from that, you're going to have different philosophers coming out of it that actually turns into what we know as the Enlightenment period because people weren't allowed to because of guys like Martin Luther and Galileo. They had a little bit more of a courage to challenge the Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, and you could see, you could understand the Catholic Church probably trying to like rein all that in too, because like things kind of were, un were unraveling a little bit. The Catholic Church for years, and the reason why they called it the Dark Ages is, and I'm not talking about the current state of the Catholic Church, of the Roman Catholic Church, because they learned from their mistakes. They're not what they used to be, but we all know that they used to be more than just a religion. They were essentially yeah. a monarchy. It was a, a governmental organization. That's know. right. And and it, they ran countries and they ran militaries, hence the Inquisition. Yeah. They did some things that were pretty bad. Right. Um, so even though, um, even though they did terrible things and they've since learned from them, there was that painful time frame where they had to come out of that. So at any rate, um, then you get the enlightenment that's soon after that. And uh, people started to have the courage to think for themselves, to ask questions without fear of retribution or fear of being burned at the stake or stuff like that. But guys like Galileo, he eventually was imprisoned and died in prison. Really? Because, I did not know that. That's right. And it's because he actually discovered something that was true about the world. I'd, you know, as famous as Galileo is, like, and I knew like he was the one who kind of positioned that hey the, the earth isn't the center of the universe i do, i knew so little about him i, did, I would have, i kind of always imagined like he put this out there it struggled for a little while and then everyone was like oh great good job galileo but he he died in prison for his ideas he died in prison <clears throat> for it and and the thing that's that kind of begs an interesting consideration or conversation is um it kind of brings into your mind this whole notion of what has turned into like religion versus science like should they be seen as adversaries or should they or can they be seen as actually advocates for one another oh yeah no that that's a huge thing i know my wife she grew up as a as a pastor's daughter mm -hmm. um and and her dad has a very kind of anti-science view because mm -hmm. it challenges his worldview based off of what he thinks the bible says yeah and and that was a really challenging thing and that was a really early part of our relationship where she was just like she didn't understand me who identified as a Christian and how I wrapped my mind around science because at that point she wasn't really considering herself a Christian because she was like no like this seems so stupid why mm -hmm. do you what you can't believe in science and be a Christian I was like no you you, you can they actually complement each other very well sure um, 
if you understand them like in that way, like if, if you have a different worldview of the, the Bible and what it teaches. And the fact of the matter is, some of the most famous scientists, like Newton, for example, or even Galileo, they were actually devoutly religious people, and they felt that their scientific endeavors was their ability to actually explore creation as they knew it. Yeah, it's, 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 it can be a greater way for them to understand their creator, their maker. I think it's Abraham Lincoln who said that like he he can't fathom, like he can see somebody looking around at the world and not believing in God, but he can't see somebody looking up at the heavens, looking up at the stars and not believing in a creator. Sure. And that's like a straight, like in, there's some people who say that, like you look at science and like they'll, they look at space and they're like, this is unbelievable. Right. There's no way this could be, be chance or happenstance. Right. Um, and some people look at that and say, say, no, you look at this and it is chance and happenstance. But, right. um, but yeah, so like, it just depends on how your, your perspective really. It absolutely is. And, and the thing that I, I think is really important about looking back at these pioneers, right? These trailblazers of thought is, uh, kind of having the courage to, to maybe question things that you weren't too comfortable questioning before. But to do it with an objective of, which a lot of these guys did, the objective, the goal of searching for what is the truth. Right. And, you know, I, me coming from a standpoint of, of being a Christian and having um, very what you might consider to be traditional Christian views, um, at the same time, I actually think that it's a really disservice when Christians or any religion look at science today as an adversarial entity when the fact of the matter is there's so much about this vast universe that is so so unbelievably unfathomable whether you talk about the most distant star the most distant galaxies the most distant you know fringes of our universe all the way down to what boggles my mind even more the smallest things in the world like what's smaller than a cell? A flagella motor. Okay, a fl- what is a flagella motor made of? I have no idea. Well, it's let's just say atoms. Yeah. What are atoms made of? Uh, subatomic particles. Protons, neutrons, electrons. What are those made of? I have no clue. And what is that made of? No idea. Keep going. See, I know. Those like there's That's an in, that's inner space right there. My favorite Martin Short movie. It's a great movie, Dennis Quaid. Oh one my of gosh. best performances. That movie's so good. But the the point being like there's so much to discover. Uh, about this universe and I think that it's it's really important that that science and even religious thought can be seen as um, advocates of exploration and discovery about the origin of things and the purpose of things and I I really admire someone like Galileo who really died for the cause of that pursuit well yeah and the, the I think the number one reason they don't have to be separate and I think it was Tim Keller that said it like science is your search for answers in the natural world right and uh i think this was tim keller and saying like in your faith and your religion specifically in this case christian religion is your search for answers for the supernatural world things that can't be defined by nature so they don't have to conflict um and they interweave and they and they mingle with each other but you can you can use science as a way to understand if you believe in a creator, mm-hmm. to understand your creator, like right. because you're trying to find out more about his or her creation, like and about our existence. One of my favorite um, thinkers, his name is Ravi Zacharias, says that all of human existence can be boiled down into four questions: origin, where does all of this come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, what is right and what is wrong? And destiny, where are we headed? 
And you're going to need scientific thought. You're going to need scientific method to explore some of those questions. Just okay. So I know I have, I really have no idea where this is going. Yes. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm loving it. But this just reminded me of a new scientific discovery that just happened. Yeah. Um, they have video footage of this happening. Watching this happen, it's like a time lapse thing of a single celled organism evolving into a multi celled organism. No kidding. Yeah. It's a it was a, a type of algae, I think, like a single celled algae or something like that. And what is the difference between it evolving as opposed to it just like? reproducing i'm not sure i don't understand the science part of it but basically yeah, it's, like, it's like it's like a like i guess a single-celled organism is just like one cell that works by itself in everything's independently versus multiple cells working together as one unit interesting so like all like we're multi-celled organisms so every like we have tons of cells in our bodies all working together versus a single-celled organism which is just it's essentially like like if a bat was just one cell that bat flaps around it's by itself but then you have a whole ton of them all working together and then maybe grabbing wings and becoming a super bat. Okay, you know what? I think I know where this is headed. It's headed to the present segment. Is it? It is, because that is the perfect segue to the now. That's great. Let's do this. Let's go. Into the now. Okay, we're here. We're now. Okay, what's this have to do with Galileo? Well, this has to do with what you're just talking about, like these multiple things. Like I don't know if you said bats or algae or whatever. It was it was out. Al- well, I mean, yeah. My my thought was like if a, if you think of a bat as a single celled organism, yeah. and then you had a uh, you'd have a swarm of bats all just being individual bats. That would be a cloud that would from a distance look like one organism, but it's really a bunch of single celled organisms. Now, if all those bats managed to link wings and flap as one gigantic super bat, yeah. now that's a multi-celled okay. organism. So let's go with that for a second. It kind of okay. reminds me of this little thing that we understand in our current culture called YouTube. You've got all this <laughs> cloud of individuals, these individual creators and thinkers that have combined all of their creative juices to make this one thing. Some right? of these people are really cool too. Some of them are very cool. And some of them on the other hand, are accused of maybe uh, inciting thoughts or th- or ideas that may, may not be in the best interest of society. Flat earthers. That's where I'm oh, going yeah. with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see how we get full circle. In there this. we go. So you started with, it's, it's, we're near Galileo's birthday. Yes. And now there's flat earthers again. You see, and yes, pun intended, full circle. Oh, my gosh. Here we are. You have you have you gone down that rabbit hole? I did go down that rabbit hole the last few days, and we're going to go there for a minute. They can offer some very convincing arguments to make you be like, hang on. Okay, but here's the deal. Have you heard of a gentleman by the name of Mark Sargent? Mark Sargent? No, but okay. he sounds cool. What about Pr- Patricia Steer? No. These are two individuals that have, according to an article that I read this week, have, with other like-minded thinkers have successfully been expanding this belief in flat earth across the globe. Oh, yeah, it's huge. There's like professional athletes who believe in this and famous people who buy into it too. Okay, have you done much research on flat earth? Um, I've done a little bit. Joey uh, has uh, has gone down that rabbit hole and he doesn't believe in it, but he's just like, no, after you watch it for a little while, if you're not careful and checking yourself, You'll believe it too. Okay, well, maybe I need some more time because I am fascinated by it. Yeah. But I'm not fascinated because I think it's plausible. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see how a group of people feed into a notion that is so easy to disprove. And I want to 
I want to disclaimer something here. Sure. Even though I do not in any way, shape, or form think that there's any plausibility around flat earthness. Yeah. I do not want to come across like mean or condescending towards people that believe that. Can I? If you want to, you can. No, they're nut jobs. <laughs> but see, you got to be careful with that because I watched this documentary on Netflix that I encourage you and all of our listeners to to watch. It's called Behind the Curve, and it's uh, <laughs> it's it's not so much about the the different scientific theories, but it's behind the the subculture that is yeah. the flat earthers. Yeah. And these are as some actual like true bona fide scientists have said. These are scientists that are just unfortunately misguided. And it's, sure. if they were better at handling proper analysis and trusting proper scientific research could actually benefit the scientific community. But instead, for other reasons, which I'd like to talk about with you, coming from more of the standpoint of YouTube being a primary platform that five years ago, there wasn't really any such thing as flat earthers. I mean, sure. you might have had thoughts here and there, but this guy Mark Sargent, he he went, he pulled the string. Is he is he the guy who runs the Flat Earth Society website? I believe that he is. I mean, okay. there's there's a yeah, bunch. I've seen of that. I've been on that website. Okay, he's the one that I think he had a YouTube channel and started saying, okay, it's possible. And the more he kind of like I said pulled that string, the more they were coming up with alternate theories, alternative theories sure. about the going to our past segment from a heliocentric understanding to a geocentric understanding where they believe that the earth is a disc with you know surrounded by an ice wall and that the sun and the moon are actually entities that are traveling above the plane of the earth yeah there's like a dome too and there's a dome that is our atmosphere i've seen videos of like rockets hitting the dome quote unquote right so this kind of to me begs the question like is this any sort of commentary on whether the whole idea of original content on YouTube is really benefiting positive things as opposed to what I would contend? Again, I'm not trying to be condescending. Something that is not necessarily moving us forward, if yeah. you will. Well, I, I mean, as, as, as nut jobby as I think the people are from my previous statement, I do think it's important for them to be able to have... Uh, the freedom to express their opinions and their research uh, and their and their theories because really like if you can't question something then I don't think it really is truth like I think I think questioning something is the most important part like of actually seeking out truth so like if you're just kind of like going and going and going like the earth is round the earth is round the earth is round we all know that I mean mm -hmm. but you should be able to there should be some freedom to be able to question that. Like, well, what if it's not? Mm -hmm. Because if it really is round, then questioning it isn't going to hurt you. It's going to help you seek more truth. Like sure. you're going to find more evidence for that. Now, um, I think what ends up happening is a lot of people end up not studying it so scientifically because they're going at it with an agenda. And that's the thing that, that I think is bothersome. See, there's there's the whole idea of approaching something with a proper analysis. And that is step one, you observe something. Yeah. Step two, you come up with, an, with a hypothesis of what you might be observing. Step three, you begin to ask questions, not to reach your hypothesis, but to test your hypothesis. I mean, this is scientific method 101. Yeah. And as one scientist in this documentary was saying is the, the questions that you ask should be the arrows that lead you to the truth. 
The problem with a flat earther approach is they take it backwards. Right. They actually form a conclusion first and then start asking questions to support their conclusion. Right. It's it's similar to um, to young earth creationists. Mm -hmm. um, you can look at that and it's you can look at the young earth creationists, the, the, the scientists that are in favor of that or the, the people who at least try to approach it somewhat scientifically. Um, and they're, they're doing the same thing. They have their conclusion already and they're looking for science to support it. And what that does is you end up finding the things that are the inconsistencies in the science that, that supports the opposite of your conclusion. Sure. And you use those as support to be like, that can't be true because there's inconsistencies versus saying like, hey, we're just not sure what these inconsistencies mean, but we found an overwhelming evidence to support X, Y, and Z. Sure. Where I think it becomes potentially detrimental is what comes down to, see, the question with flat earthers isn't so much, is their science accurate? To me, the bigger question is, why are you guys so unwilling to trust what is widely accepted? And you actually are able to peek under the surface in some of these individuals that yeah. are staunch flat earthers that it's really this inability to trust anything, to, to almost trust reality. Right. And and when you ask the question, okay, flat earthers, who's behind all the conspiracy? This why why is there so much effort being put into convincing the world population that we're a globe? What what's the motivation? Yeah, what's the point? And you have an infinite amount of opinions on that and then the next question is and who's behind it is it the united states government is it the masons is it the church and they'll say yes it's everybody yeah, so then you get into point. this like culture of paranoia where a lot of the people that are flat earthers and i don't want to broad brush but they're actually people that have a knack already for conspiracy theories sure. which i think conspiracy theories most of them that are presented on youtube because that's kind of what yeah. this is all about aren't very healthy and I don't feel like they lead to healthy thought. No. I'm sure there are some conspiracy theories and I forget the guy's name. It was a comedian. He said like, you don't believe in any conspiracy theories. <laughs> like you think the government's batting a thousand? Like you think they're telling the truth tell about the whole everything? Truth? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, no, yeah, okay, that's a great point. That's a good like, point, yeah. That's an excellent point. There's no way they're telling the truth on everything. Right. There's definitely some conspiracy theories that are probably true. But uh, really, I think what comes down to this, I saw another video recently that was about um, why you can't convince somebody when you're presenting overwhelming facts, like right in front of somebody, they will just deny your facts right. and stand in their belief. It's a tribal survival mentality. Because from a from a logical standpoint, it doesn't make sense to say, uh, you know, this is the the Earth is flat. Right. But from a tribal tribal survival mentality, it does make sense because you're much more likely to stay safe if you stay with the tribe. Right. And you can stick together. It doesn't matter how wrong you are. If you stick together, survival instinct makes you do that. There's actually chemical things in your brain that make you shut off. So the reason the way they recommend convincing somebody like who thinks differently than you is you have to find the identifying factors. Sure. You and I are both fathers. You and I are both Christians. You and I are both friends. You and I are both whatever. You find your thing that makes them think of you as the same tribe. Right. And if you then you can figure out some way to show them an acknowledgement of you knowing when you're wrong to basically show them like, hey, it's okay to be wrong. Sure. Being wrong is not bad. Right. Um, then those two things combined can actually make somebody more susceptible to listen to facts and like and crack their their beliefs, which are sometimes so firm because they're just survival instinct. And that's the one thing that I find really interesting about this whole subculture, because and I'm not going to I don't want to ruin it for anybody that's not seen the documentary, but they do just they dip their toe in the water of showing an experiment that kind of doesn't work out well for the flat earthers. 
but they are unwavering. Yeah. It doesn't matter what proof you show them, you're not going to change your mind. And that's why it's, in my estimation, flat earthers, the flat earther movement is not so much a scientific issue as much as it's like a sociological issue. Sure. It's, it's a group of individuals who, if you really listen to the way they talk, they've, they've always felt kind of ostracized and they're finding solidarity over a unique cause that yeah. is exciting and is new to, I know it's not new to Galileo, but it's, it's new <laughs> to, like recently because, you know, um, the Apollo landing and all that other stuff, you know, it's all Hollywood and the government, but it's, it's actually people that are looking for a place to belong and it yeah. actually becomes more of a sociological experiment more than a scientific issue so that leads me to maybe a good wrap-up question for this segment okay all right is there a specific conspiracy and let's each share that you are like yeah i think that's a conspiracy i'm not buying this whatsoever um yeah and, I, and i'm not talking about big zinc right now oh that's what i was gonna go for was <laughs> oh, big zinc. okay um you gonna go there i don't know if we have time to go there danny we, as a country, lose millions of dollars every year on pennies and nickels. Pennies more than nickels, but we lose money on nickels too. They both cost more money to make than they do, than they're worth, uh, not to mention the amount that we lose on all this stuff. But um, the number one purchaser of zinc is the U.S. government because that's what we make our coins out of. We've there's re there's been history in the past where we've gotten rid of like the half penny was a coin we had that we got rid of it because it was didn't make sense anymore the penny does not make sense to keep anymore especially with currency as it is but we still have it you know why because there's a zinc lobby there is there are people who are like lobbying the government to keep us making these pirate sure. doubloons yeah yeah but anyways so I buy into that well and my conspiracy theory is not too far off from that and that is I'm pretty much buying into almost any conspiracy that's tied to pharmaceuticals so oh for example oh. i i i would not be surprised at all yeah. if a crazy news story broke tonight and they said they found a cure for cancer 15 years ago but because of the different you know the yeah. lobbyists and the medical community and politicians they've not been allowed to or it's been held back from being released to the general public because they make so much money on cancer treatment, yeah. the leading cause of death. Yeah. I'd be surprised if it was cancer because there's so many different types of cancer, and I think that's why we haven't cured cancer. And I'm using that as an example. I, I'm I would, saying. I would 100% buy it for AIDS, though. Sure. Or or any number of ailments. Like, right. just see what's going on right now with the, uh, the EpiPen mm -hmm. and how they're driving the cost of that up simply because there's not competition. Yeah. I think it's there's two lobbyists for big pharma for every single member of congress yeah which is insane it's outrageous that's so many lobbyists for big pharma so as we we meander our way toward the future i have to ask don't give your topic away mm -hmm. but we've talked about some pretty crazy stuff in the future is is your topic your future topic have anything to do with the conspiracy about the future conspiracy ish Okay. Maybe. Yeah, no, not not totally conspiracy-ish, but we it, it ties into a conspiracy that you and I have discussed on this show before. Okay, that's too much suspense. Let's move forward. Okay. All right. The future. So... We've talked in depth on this show about artificial intelligence. Yes. 
So that's as conspiracy as it gets. This is tied into artificial intelligence. Well, I mean, usually at the first like mention of artificial intelligence on the show, like you lose your mind a little bit. Oh yeah. So are you about to do that? No, I think this is a healthy thing. Okay, good. Um, this is a good thing for AI in my opinion. You're making progress. Um, I read a few articles about this, but this one actually had like the most, like the, the nicest list. So these are jobs specifically that uh, they think there's, it says 10 artificial intelligence jobs that are coming out that will replace old jobs and then 10 jobs that are probably safe. Okay. Cool. And I want to kind of get your opinion on what you think about this. Cause they also give like a likelihood chance that they think right. that these are going to get replaced. Number one, on the list of jobs that's going to get replaced telemarketers. They're saying 99% uh, that in the near future, it's going to be replaced. Can There's... we just like do away with the telemarketing or does it have to go a I? Well, I think it's probably never going to go away anyway, because like cold calling is always a thing. Like yeah. you and I cold call people as owners of this business. We'll reach out to people occasionally and be like, hey, I really think we'd be good for you. That's Do you want to talk? I just don't want to get that call that's like, there's nothing wrong with your account. That oh, kind of I hate that. Yeah. But think about this. As, as AI starts to get better and better, and it's actually something having a conversation with you instead of just being... Like, a, would you like to, like, right now we're getting these fake scammy robocalls. Sure. But I think actually it could be nice to have a conversation. You, with like, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to be getting it anyway. Like, yeah. Well, the first company that actually accomplishes that is going to be a boon because people are going to be like, I want to get a call and talk to that robot. Right. Like, I want to hear this. Did you get a call from that company? They uh, got robots calling. That'd be incredible. Like, yeah. oh, the, the computers are coming. Right. Um, this number two, they're saying 98% is bookkeeping clerks. Now that job in general just sounds old, like yeah. bookkeeping. So like you're talking about people who handle things like your QuickBooks, like, I mean, finances. your finances for your companies, all those kind of things. Like those, there were, I mean, I think about that, like, oh yeah, I always would hear about somebody like, what did you, oh, I'm a bookkeeper for this company. I'm like, there's just somebody who does nothing but the bookkeeping? Yeah. I mean, we're long gone are the days where you have to like save receipts. Yeah. I mean, so much is transacted digitally. There's no reason why that couldn't be an AI. Yeah. So imagine if it's like something you can actually talk to and ask questions and yeah. can peruse rather than just like kind of recognize stuff that you put in. It's going to actually go through and think through stuff and try to find the best options. Hey, Alexa, how much did I spend on groceries last month? Yeah. How much should I spend on groceries? Like there being able to offer opinions and advice on things. Yeah. That'd be incredible. Uh, the next one was saying receptionists. 96% disappearing and think about that. Yeah. Why do we need perceptionists? Are, are, does this mean that they're going to put Sophia up front at your business? You know, Sophia, right? The AI, isn't that the name of the... Oh, the little robot? Yeah. yeah the is creepy it, robot? Or, or Kinda. Like every receptionist going to look like Sophia? I mean, AI doesn't require a body. Sure. So we got to think about that. Like, is AI can just be the computer system itself. So it could be a screen with a person on it. It could be a screen with words on it. Hmm. doesn't have to be anything, but just think about it. The person that answers the phones and greets people at the front door. Yeah, but you kind of want to... You, you want to come in and talk to some sort of, like person if you're going to feel welcome i mean i don't want to walk into a building and talk to night rider sure but think about this how many companies do you know and you used to work at one like this where you even had to badge in just to get in there you That's couldn't true. even get in unless you needed to be there right so that kind of per like that kind of business you probably wouldn't even care when you get to the front desk you're like hey i'm here to see so-and-so that's as far as that conversation goes that's true my wife can go to the gym 24 hours a day right now she doesn't need no receptionist nope so just yeah. gets to badge right in and go yeah uh couriers okay uh, couriers are getting replaced by drones and robots, so mm. it's only a matter of time before it's dominated by automation altogether. There's been chatter about that for a few years now, especially about the drones delivering yeah. packages. I think Amazon might have been the first one to say yeah. we're going to try this out. And they've been they have they have been doing it, and they've been doing it in like in highly scales, populated yeah. urban areas. Yeah, and if you think about like a lot of their warehouses, some of those are automated by yeah 
like robots already like picking the stuff like off the shelves have you seen the um like little facebook videos or whatever that show i want to say it's in china or something it's a fully robotic uh basically it's not a factory it's like a a comp they they're moving packages around so you've got all these tracks in this gigantic airplane hangar type of warehouse does it look like uh, monsters inc kind of yeah but not doors yeah a little bit a little bit it, it looks like wally where you've just got like these yeah. robots like all over the place like doing specific jobs that's cool it's crazy that's that's awesome i think that's that's really cool um this one now we're getting a little lower this is saying 84 percent likely to disappear proofreaders mm. um now that's a tough one because i use grammarly do you use grammarly i do not i am a horrible speller mm -hmm. super helpful for me yeah yeah, so like, I mean, that makes sense. Like, and then you think about proofreaders as being somebody like my wife is was an English major, so she'll proofread stuff for people sometimes and just say like, yeah, there's nothing grammatically wrong about this, but you might want to try. This might be a better way to sure. do that. That's where it, when AI really flips that switch, I think proofreaders yeah. will really be like, oh, that makes a lot more sense because a computer could do that better than a person. Well, then you're getting into a little bit more abstract thinking yeah. about like, how does this flow right? Like, like you said, I understand what you're trying to say here, but it's a little bit clumsy. Maybe you could say it a little bit differently, even if it's grammar grammatically correct. Um, that's when that's some legit AI. Yeah. Uh, now, this one makes me glad I got out of this field, uh, which is computer support specialists. Okay. Uh, so no more Geek Squad, huh? Yeah, just like no more Geek Squad, no more Genius Bar. Like people really, like computers really and AI really troubleshooting stuff because that is, it's a lot like a doctor, that job. It's a lot like a mechanic where you you have to talk to somebody and you have to actually decipher what they're saying and actually figure out what they are actually saying because they're describing something in their own terms, but you have to like get to the bottom of it and figure out what's going on. I guess so, but the, even with a job like that, there's so much that seems tied to like experience. Like when I walk into a Genius Bar, and like my wife, she had to go there a couple weeks ago because sure. her, uh, her facial recognition stopped working. And there was nothing like about the software that was messed up. There was nothing that they had tracked that Apple had been reported mm -hmm. like as a bug or anything. But this specific tech person that was helping us was like, Oh yeah, my phone was doing this the other day and I did boom, 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 restarted it. Uh, you know what it was? He had her um, basically erase her facial recognition mm -hmm. and redo, redo it, it and again. it started working. Is That's something that he kind of figured out on his own that wasn't necessarily... But you gotta think a computer, uh, as they get better, like it's basically going through the same thought press process, being fed tons and tons of information until it's so complex that it can think through things faster it's problem and more solving. efficiently. It's problem solving. It's not that. just feeding off a database. But you lose my favorite part of that job. So I worked at Apple at the Genius Bar. I was a genius and then I, I was in charge of the Genius Bar after that. And the th reason I ex excelled at that job was because I did well handling the person. Sure. I never saw that as a job where I was like I was a tech support guy. Like I never, I was never the best technician, hands down. Mm -hmm. But I was really great at handling the people, and because I was really great at handling the people, I could always do really well. Um, and that's really the thing that I think you'd miss. But if the AI gets really good, yeah, you know, maybe it can handle the emotions really well. Like, because you you get used to get somebody coming in and screaming at you. Sure. And that's why I think this one's probably not. It's it's sixty five percent likelihood. I think there's it's still missing like some of that human element because things your phone people like are attached to it i had i would have people come in and say my son died and these are the last photos i have of him mm. on my phone yeah and you're telling me it's not working right now it doesn't matter how good i can like i, I can't, if you can't fix that 
the only way that makes that scenario okay is handling the, the emotion of that person. Sure. Versus being like, just saying like, hey, this isn't going to work. Right. It's broken forever. Mm-hmm. Like that's the technical right answer, but sure, yeah, it's not handling the situation properly. So I don't know. Um, retail salespeople. This goes back up. This is saying ninety-two percent likely to be replaced by AI. I totally get that hmm. because people tend to hate salespeople. Yeah, people don't like them. I mean, sometimes you get some that are good, but some people really just they, they want to get in, not talk to somebody. Oh, yeah. But the, some, but they want somebody there when they need them. When they need them, because when I walk into a store and somebody's approaching me, before they can even ask, "Can I help you?" I'm already saying, "I'm just looking, thank you." Yeah. And that being said, if I can't find something, and then I can't find a worker, I'm yeah. like, "Where are the workers at?" Yeah. Well, and having been in retail, I can tell you, they're trained to recognize that you—that's just your response. Sure. And to know how, like the good ones know how and to, when to break that down. Right. Right. Um. And that's the really great retail experiences versus the kind of just Walmart target experiences. So much nuance that though, like that is like human interaction. I don't understand how AI is going to pick up on those types of cues. I mean, I think it would just really be able to understand like you're just feeding it data really. And you're giving it enough information to know like, oh, th- if they responded this way with this much anger. Well, since it doesn't have feelings, I wouldn't feel bad about hurting its feelings. So if an AI came up to me and was like, can I help you? I'd be like, go away. I don't want your help. But you're never gonna get with that. You're never gonna get the pushy commissioned sales guy. Yeah. Uh, these are ones that are likely to be safe. Human resource managers. That's on the other end of that. You know, benefits and compensation people. They're saying human resource managers. You'll always need them. They're saying there's only a 0.55 percent chance that less than one percent chance that that'll get replaced by AI. Oh yeah, they've got HR. Good HR people have to have an art with people. Yeah. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. Event planners. Yeah. I could see that being AI being like, oh, here's how we have a good party. Yeah, but so much of that, there's a, there's an art to that. Anything that comes down to like a, a, a subjectivity and art to it, you can't have AI doing yeah. that. Well, interesting you say that because the next one on the list is writers. Writers will not be replaced. No, you can't. Um, and then last one, graphic designers. Oh, yeah. I think robots could do that. I don't know. There, I, I was doing some logo design work a few months ago, and I was using a website called Fiverr, which I'm using designers from different countries, and I could very much tell the difference in the cultural sort of flair mm-hmm. based on which country my designer was from. Yeah. And I just think there's so much nuance to design that I, I don't know if an if AI has the Though there might be like an intelligence there, is there a creative aptitude that's really going to bring in the nuances to truly do graphic design? See, now I think it's going to change a little bit. I think there's going to be a lot of AI graphic designers, and I think there's going to be a few AI or a few graphic design like artists, like mm. the elite. And I think what's going to end up happening, like, because you worked in web design for a while, I did, and graphic design. So you. You could, you probably would recognize like there's trends like, but you have to ha- that has to be feeding off of the data of what actual humans are doing to right. actually see what the trends right. are. The web to- the web 2.0 designs the uh-huh. the mirror or the reflection and, uh-huh. the gl- and the glass reflective stuff like that was huge. Like, yeah. and every website was made with that. But then there would be some people who were super unique. And I th- but I think that's I think when they talk about on this list specifically about graphic designers, I think they're talking more about just the artistry, not the like. Not the blend, because yeah, we live in this world where like your graphic designers. There's a fine line these days. Yeah, there's so much there's of... like front end designers who know a little bit of coding. Right. There's back end designers who do nothing but coding. Sure. And then there's 
just designers who sure. do nothing but design. Yeah. And there's everywhere in between. Kind and of. I could see AI being really helpful for like user interface analysis. So like when people are, you know, on a website or when they're, you know, browsing the internet, what types of behavior, like observing certain types of behavior, because sure. that type of stuff then gets into how people start building websites or putting their information online because of the behavioral trends of people. Yeah, imagine if you could kind of design your website and then like, here's how I want it to do. And then it would look at it and then analyze like, okay, yeah. this isn't how people are gonna be doing things. Let me rearrange all of your stuff, but keep the feel. See, in certain environments, like we're talking about like that, I'm open to it. Yeah. Like where there's a healthy, like I said, marriage, but just in general, generally speaking, I'm gonna put on my cranky old man cardigan right now. And I've got to say, I, I kind of hope that a lot of what you said doesn't really come to fruition because I think that the more you remove the human element, the human interactive element, you actually begin to sterilize and standardize the culture and you begin to lose the very essence of what I believe to be the fabric of the uniqueness of human interaction and culture when so much of it especially because we're so privatized now we have our private devices our smartphones our laptops whatever it is that cuts down on the need for human interaction so what you're saying is we could walk into a bank and you're not even going to interact with the human being anymore you're going to be interacting with yet another ai that was on another list that i was reading bank uh yeah basically tellers were like those, those are gone. Right. Like, cause and think about it. I do all my banking on my phone. Sure. They're saying yeah. like, and like 100% cash transactions will be completely able to be done by AI. And I just think humans in general are, we are communal and we're communal beings. And, you know, even going back to our previous segment with the flat earthers, these are individuals that are actually hungry for solidarity or for some sort of um, feeling of belonging of something larger, a group of people that actually can, they can assimilate into. And I, I, it, though it's, I guess it comes down to that, that balance, that tricky seesaw that we're on culturally, societally, mm -hmm. the, the, the more advanced technology gets, it's how far is too far. And, and not even going down that path of like we've talked about before, singularity where robots take over, but what is, where is that balance between convenience versus what is just plain healthy. Maybe there might be things that are, are more convenient, but less healthy for us. Sure, I think what's gonna end up happening with some of it though, is it's gonna free us up to enjoy other things more. So mm. like, I, I don't know why, but I get really upset when I'm at the grocery store and I'm ringing out and the person ringing me out comments on what I'm buying. <laughs> Like, oh, are you making spaghetti tonight? It's none of your business. I know. I get I get really upset about that. And I shouldn't get upset. It's just groceries. But I, I think it's kind of a self-conscious thing to be like, what if I'm buying something that I don't want them really knowing what I'm doing sure. or anything like that? Like Self-checkout. So, yeah. So, I do self-checkout for that reason, to yeah. dodge the people at, at the thing. And I want them there for when I have a question. <laughs> um, hey, I can't find out how to ring out this pair. Sure. But... In the meantime, mind your own business. Yeah. Stay away from me. I can bag my own groceries. Yeah, but don't you think we work. so much of the human experience is learning how to bob and weave and to maneuver through some of the difficult interactions, uncomfortable, awkward interactions. If everything is always comfortable and if nothing is ever awkward, then we become, I think, a little bit a little bit soft. We become unable to, to I think, um, improvise as needed socially or conversationally. I think those are... Those are arts that are fine-tuned and refined by those difficult types of interactions. See, but I think what's going to happen is it's it's taking the stress out of that situation for me. 
So immediately my mental health is going to be better. But is all stress bad? I think, I think certain stresses can be. Did you know, Danny, that there is a tree that they put in a biodome? This goes back years, I think like 15 or 20 years. Okay. And when they put this tree in this biodome, it kept dying and they couldn't figure out why. And they realized because this specific tree was was actually not dealing with any wind. Mm-hmm. And since it wasn't dealing with wind, that was actually part of its growth process. And I don't it would, understand. It would, be, it would become stronger because it was getting blown. It'd have to react to the wind. Exactly. So there was something about the development of this tree or this plant that the it being kind of buffeted around by the wind was actually integral to it being healthy. And in this biodome, it not dealing with that resistance, it actually kind of withered up and it it wasn't, it was stunted. And I just, I see that human beings are the same way. We thrive when we have to solve a problem, when we have to, when we have to overcome some stress. And that's where I think, I'm not anti all AI, mm-hmm. but I think at some point there has to be a willingness to recognize that there is such thing as too convenient. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and I, I I would agree with you a little bit there. I've every job I've left when I like send my goodbye email out to the team or whatever, I've always ended it with the same thing, which is I firmly believe that we grow the most when we put ourselves into an uncomfortable situation. Exactly. Um, and I've always tried to make any time I leave a job, I'm not leaving to something that I'm just trying to be more comfortable. I'm leaving for something that's gonna make me in some form uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I I'm with you there. I I think though. There is something to be said for um, if we can take if we can take the stress out of the monotonous things of our life, mm-hmm. then that's going to be good for our mental health to handle the more stressful parts of our life better. Yeah, because we've taken now we don't have to deal with the stress out of the mon- monotony of going to the grocery store. So all the little stresses out of there aren't affecting me mentally. So when I come home to my house, just insane, where my kids are just all over the place. My wife's had a hard day and I'm coming home from work in the grocery store with food for dinner. And she's trying to like, I can now handle that so much better because I've not been dealing with stress. Do you know what AI would be 100% in support of? What? Did you ever watch the Jetsons? I did. I don't remember the names of all the characters, but the robot maid. Rosie. Rosie. She cleaned the house and stuff. If I could have Rosie in my house, oh my goodness. I would be 100% support of that. Because our house with four kids, no oh, matter yeah. how hard we try or how much we clean, it is always a disaster. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how we do either. Your that house is always great when I go over. Eh, that's when we're screaming at the kids for an hour. Clean up the house. We have company coming over. <laughs> I've I've learned to not care. My wife hates it. But I've just, I'm just like... I'm learning to care less. You kind of have to because otherwise you're just constantly drowning. But man, if I could have a Rosie who's just keeping the house clean, 100% support of that AI. Yeah, because my wife hates it when my dad comes over and he's like, why is there fingerprints on the TV? <laughs> like, and I just know it's just my dad being my dad. But my wife's like, ah, oh, I got to clean. I'm like, no, who cares? Because even if he says it, who who cares? Yeah, exactly. And you'll come home to the most, the strangest messes. There's there's pink splattered all over our bathroom wall right now. Pink? Pink. What 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 is it? I, don't, I was like racking my brain like, why is there pink all over my bathroom wall? And evidently, my wife was going to a Galentine's party. I think she might have my actually wife's been Galentine's with your party, wife. Yeah, and she was spraying some pink stuff in her hair and didn't realize that she was missing her hair at the time, <laughs> and it was spraying all over the wall. That, was, that perfect, might have been my wife's party. Yeah, perfect opportunity to be like, Rosie, get the pink off the wall in the bathroom right away, <laughs> Mister Jetson. I'd take that AI all day oh, long. Oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah. Well, on that note, okay. So here's a question as we wrap up the podcast: What did you learn today? What did I learn today? I learned a lot about Galileo that I did not know. I feel like I should have known mm-hmm. that he died in prison. Well, now you do. I do know that. Thanks to this podcast. I do. Um, 
I, I knew a lot about the Flat Earthers, but I enjoyed our conversation about that. Yeah, I actually am, am glad that we discussed that one because where I would normally just kind of <laughs> laugh at them and turn the other direction, again, even though I think it's absolutely implausible what they're looking at, just it's a fascinating culture. And I'm, I might go down that rabbit trail a little bit more just just to see how far they're willing to take. So like, I'm with you there. I, I get into the, the rabbit holes of weird conspiracy things like Flat Earth on YouTube all yeah. the time. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that we did this podcast. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be doing this uh, again next time, uh, probably next week, I would imagine, right? Yeah. I think so. Next yeah. week. And, yeah. And our friend John will be back. He will be back, uh, and we'll let him know that you missed him. Uh, for the Ramonian Podcast, I've been Danny Gula. I'm Jeff McCullough. And we'll see you next time. See you.